Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear no more of me. <laughs> I'm handing the episode over to our editor, Hope Brush, who will be your guest host this week. So I will talk at you all again next week. Hey folks, this is Hope. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear from Jen Curcio. So Olivia punched holes through the walls and threw herself through a glass table and called the cops and said it was the roommate. So yeah, I went the next day to court and I got that restraining order petition in. (laughs) That and more. But first, in honor of this month being Women's History Month, we want to encourage women who listen to Risk to pitch us your stories. Or maybe stories from your mom, grandma, sister, friends, whoever. Anyone who you think might have a story about dealing with sexism, women's health care, abortion, sexual harassment, or maybe one of the great parts about being a woman, like being a badass in a male-dominated field. If you've ever thought about pitching us, or even if you've never thought about it until I'm saying it now, it's super easy. Just go to risk-show.com slash submissions. We'll be right back. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now here's the show This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. And this is Tosh Sultana behind me now. I'm Hope Brush, one of the audio editors here, and we're calling this week's episode Mind Over Matter because this week is all about hearing stories from some amazing women and all of the things that they've had to overcome. Because this month is all about honoring women's history, I wanted to ask our two storytellers today about who some of the most influential women in their lives have been. And I'll start it off by sharing one of mine. When I was in college, I took a class about recording to analog tape. And I had an amazing professor named Susan Rogers, who really taught me what it was like to be a woman in the music industry, which is a challenge now, but was so much more so when she was first getting started back in the 80s. She ended up getting her dream gig, which was to engineer for the one and only Prince. 
but she definitely had a lot of challenges on her way to getting there. So whenever I'm feeling frustrated or annoyed or anything, I just think back about it and I realize that if she could do it then, I definitely have no excuse. In a little bit, we're gonna hear from Darylise Lyons. Darylise actually shared this story to a group of us virtually over Zoom. And it was so much fun to be able to hear her tell it to us in that way. And it was also fun for me to be able to edit and sound design it. Before that, we're gonna hear from Jen Curcio. This is a story that Jen shared at the Hotel Cafe here in LA at our monthly live show. And as a person who lives only a couple minutes away, I love going to that show. If you've never been to a live show, it's so much fun. I highly recommend it. But if you're in LA and you're looking for something else to do, you should definitely check out the Chill Vibe storytelling open mic that Jen co-hosts at the Lyric Hyperion Theater every Saturday at 1 p.m. Until then, here's Jen Garcia with a story that we call Standing Up To You. knew that I was gay, but I never really like explored it in a meaningful adult way until I moved to Los Angeles eight years ago. And to explore it, I got on Tinder and I immediately met Olivia, who is like the quintessential California dream girl, according to 90s cinema. Like she had long blonde hair and she was very stylish. She could rock an earth tone, pull off a bold lip and accessorize the trifecta. And she had this like deep, sexy voice that like poured over me. And she was just so confident about being gay. And I admired it so much because I was just not there yet in my journey. And she was like, it's just super, super generous. Like she would show up to my apartment before a date with this huge gift box. And inside of it would be an entire outfit, the shoes and the accessories to match. And like, you see what I'm wearing right now. I don't know how to accessorize. <laughs> so yeah, it was really awesome. And she was like super into me, which was amazing. Cause I always really struggled with my self-esteem, but like she would get pissed, like really, really pissed if I didn't immediately change into whatever outfit she wanted me to wear. And when I would call her out on it, she would break down and be like, my mom abused me, I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly, but I was like, I had empathy and I was like, I'm so sorry, I, I love you and I wanna make sure this works and I wanna break that cycle of abuse with you. <laughs> and so like, I kept dating her. <laughs> I, I really like, I had, I had no idea that same-sex relationships could be abusive. I'll admit it. Thanks, society. <laughs> and then one night I was just in bed and I was like scrolling through Facebook and I saw another comedian who was coming out about having been in an abusive relationship. And she like posted like the signs to look for. And I showed it to Olivia and I was like, how terrible. But she like didn't take it like that. She was like, if you ever fuck with me, I will tell everyone you abused me. And I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> Wait a minute, like, I didn't, do you feel like that? And she was like, no, just don't fuck with me. And I was like, uh, I'm starting to see the signs and they're matching up and like, wow. Um, so the irony is that like a few nights after that, we were fooling around in bed and I fell asleep. I know that's really fucked up, but I was exhausted and I fell asleep. <laughs> And what woke me up was a blow to my head. And I honestly don't know if she intentionally hit me or what, but when I woke up, she started laughing and she was like, I gotta get off. And like in that moment, I was like, this is fucked up. Like I, this is not good, you know? And I kept going with it. Cause I was like, ooh, how do I get out of this? And she gave me an ultimatum. She was like, either come out to your parents, something I was terrified to do, or we break up. And yeah, I should have taken that moment to be like, bye. <laughs> but I didn't, and I came out to my parents. It was fine, it was like the run of the mill, like coming out to your parents, but I started crying. 
And she started snapping photos of me, which is like so intrusive. I'd rather tell you my credit score. (laughs) And I was like, please don't post this on social media. And you already know, she immediately posted it on social media with the caption of, this is what happens when you don't accept your gay children. Thank you. And she tagged me and my parents saw it. And they're really good people. And so it broke their hearts. It made me feel upset. And I was like, I just can't wait to go to work tomorrow and have a moment of peace. And unfortunately, the creepy guy in the office ruined that because he found the post and he had it on his phone and he took it around to everybody and said, we thought she liked the D, turns out she likes the V. Exactly, it wasn't even funny about it. And he immediately got fired. And when I went home and I like, told Olivia about this really shitty day at work, she said, stop being a pussy and start standing up for yourself. And in that moment, I was like, you're right. I have to stand up to you. So I got together with some friends and we made a plan to get me out of the relationship safely because I knew it was going to explode. But I did it. I got out and she immediately started showing up everywhere. Like I would open my front door and she would just be standing there. I would go to other comedy shows to perform and she would like lurk around and be super drunk and then she would get in my face like two inches away and she would like mumble angrily and I honestly don't know what she was even saying but it was probably a curse on my life but it like freaked me out and I got so freaked out that I started asking friends to come with me to shows and I also in all this chaos I forgot that I gave her a key to my apartment until she let me remember by coming in while I was at work. And I know this because only my roommate and she had a key and my roommate was out of town and she just moved stuff around in like a very Olivia way. Like she left a banana peel on the kitchen table and she like just moved stuff. Like it it was like she wanted me to know. So I immediately got my locks changed and I got into therapy. And my therapist was like, I don't think you just need therapy. I think you need a restraining order. And I was like, well, maybe you're being dramatic. We'll wait and see that one. So I didn't get a restraining order. I kept in therapy and I started dating again. And it was like going pretty well. I went on a date to this event called Dyke Day LA. And it was like really nice. We're having a picnic. But then I started feeling like someone was watching me. And I turned around and it was her just staring at me. And I was like, what the fuck? So I was so freaked out and um, I just decided, you know what, I don't want to date anymore. I have to like take control of something I really can control, my career. And I got my dream job, making gifts and memes for a big humor website. (laughs) And I was like really anxious to post about it because I didn't like to post anything personal because I could tell even though my socials were on lockdown, Olivia knew. And, but I like pride got the best of me as it does every comedian. And I posted about it and I was like super braggadocious. And that's when shit hit the fan. Olivia friended my coworkers and she wrote a long Facebook post in all caps with my name, with two alarm emojis at the top saying that I had abused her during the relationship. And I know this because it went viral. Yeah, and I was like, shit. So uh, friends were checking in on me, like calling me throughout the day, and some coworkers were asking me about it, like, are you okay? Like, is there anything you need help with? And some coworkers were like, fuck you. (laughs) And I was like, great, I am freaked out that I'm gonna lose my job, excellent. And then my therapist was like, maybe it is time for that restraining order. So, I was still like, you know what, maybe not. Um, Let me do something wild. So I DM'd my ex's ex, Ashley. And I was like, hey, this is what's going on. I know you know her, like, do you think I'm in danger? Should I get that restraining order? And Ashley was like, can I call you? And I was like, yeah, sure. And she told me the story about when they first started dating, Olivia wanted Ashley to move in. I know it's confusing, it's all women, but. Olivia had a roommate on the lease for five more months. So to get rid of that pesky roommate, she had her arrested. And I was like, go on, what happened? 
So Olivia punched holes through the walls and threw herself through a glass table and called the cops and said it was the roommate. So yeah, I went the next day to court and I got that restraining order petition in. And then like a few weeks later, I had my big day in court with Olivia and I went with two friends and we were holding hands. We were all just so nervous and we didn't see her. And all of a sudden we heard thump, thump, thump down the concrete courthouse hallway, followed by the big wooden door whipping open and slamming against the concrete walls and her screaming, I'm here. (laughs) And we all like clenched our hands and I was like, oh my God, don't look, don't look. And she came in wearing like ripped jeans and a sweatshirt and huge sunglasses. And she had a a really scared looking woman with her and a priest who looked like J.K. Rollins, or sorry, J.K. Simmons. (laughs) Totally different people. (laughs) But here's the thing, like I never knew her to be religious, so I have no fucking idea why a priest was there. And they sat down and like the judge was super cool with them and the bailiff, like they were all cool. And the judge was just like, okay, what is your name? Noted, thank you so much, have a seat. And we sat through like a whole day of trials and then it was our turn. And she insisted on the priest and the scared woman coming up with her. (laughs) And the judge was like, I'm sorry, who are they? (laughs) And she was like, this is my fiance and my priest. (laughs) And the judge was like, this is not the normal situation that should be happening, but I will allow it. So please just sit down. And then they swore us in. And as soon as she was done being sworn in, she popped up and she was like, your honor, this is a grave miscarriage of justice. And the judge was like, no, justice has been served. Please sit down. And like throughout the entire trial, she just kept popping up and like screaming. So at the end of it, he was like, you know what? I looked at all the facts. (laughs) I've seen both sides. And because of your continued outburst and your wild lack of self-control, I am going to give a three-year restraining order. Thank you. (laughs) And I felt relieved until she hired a whole team of attorneys to fight it. And I didn't have money like that, so I got the discount attorney. And... uh, That's still really expensive. So I had to get a second job. And I was like, you know what? I'm doing this, but I still want to date. (laughs) And so I got back out there on all the apps and like I would go on dates and like women could tell because I was so closed off and so nervous to meet new people. Like they could tell something was up and they would be like, what is wrong with you? And I'd be like, um, and I would tell them the whole story and they'd be like, I'm sorry. I don't want anything to do with you (laughs) or your weird ex. Like, I don't want to see her or meet her. Goodbye. And I was like, I get that. That's fair. And then I met Kylie. And instead of being like, what is wrong with you? She was like, is there anything I can do to, like, make you comfortable? And I immediately, like, opened up. And I felt, like, so at ease. And we continued dating. And everything was going really well. And then I missed one weekly payment to my attorney. And he bitched me out at the first job of the day. And I was like, just sick of it. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I am so sick and tired of having to fight and like having to put every penny that I earn into this legal fight. I am so sick and tired of dealing with this person who I dated for five months, three years ago, and I fired my attorney. And yeah, it seems like a crazy idea, right? But I was like, I'm sick and tired of giving power to this. And even though like I didn't have time to get another attorney before my appeal, and I unfortunately did lose my protection, I will say this, Kylie and I are still together to this day. Thank you. And we have a really healthy relationship and I know nothing is wrong with me. And I also like, I will never not feel a little unsafe. Like I'll always scan a room before I walk in just to see if Olivia is there, but I finally feel safe enough to go in public alone. So that's it. Thank you.
Cause everybody knows The thing she does to please She's just a little tease So I'm a father of one. I gotta find a babysitter. I found care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. the type of person to spend holiday with family. Not my own family, not other people's families. Part of that is because I've spent most of my late teens and early 20s in and out of eating disorder treatment facilities. And part of that is because I just really avoid exposure to buffets, which as a recovering bulimic can be great when alone, but terrible in the company of others. I am not very good at self-restraint. But in 2010, eight months out of being released from my last treatment center, seven months into my relationship with my girlfriend, Lee, we're so enamored with each other that when she asks me, hey, Dare, will you come with me to my family's for Thanksgiving? I forget my aversion to families and buffets, and I say, sure, I'd love to do that, even though I would not love to do that at all. Lee and I could not be more unalike physically, mentally, emotionally, in terms of background. She's five foot two inches. I'm five, seven and a half. She's got spiky hair that she teases into a mohawk and she's slender and she's got tattoo sleeves and works as a teacher. I'm black and white, biracial, with curls like cumulus clouds and skin the color of Werther caramel candies that I cannot eat in moderation, P.S., and anyway, a few years back, she served a six-month prison sentence um, that was expunged for her records so she can now be a teacher, which is a very respectable job. But she was put in prison for assaulting the husband of a woman with whom she was having an affair. And I noticed this has impacted her because when we go out to eat together, she hunches over her food and shovels it in because apparently when you're five foot two inches tall in prison, people steal your food. So Lee and I I make a very strange looking pair and we have no business being together. For one thing, when I was in treatment, the professionals there warned me not to get into a relationship for the first year of recovery. And we met when the ink on her divorce papers still was not dry. I think she was a week out of her relationship with her ex-wife. But nevertheless, we're all over each other. I am so attracted to everything about her that is different than me. And I think she is attracted to me for being weird and quirky and a hot mess. And even before moving in together, we find ourselves having sex in every room of my apartment, as well as every room of her house, which she bought from her grandmother. It's this house in wildhood with bubblegum pink tiles in the kitchen and Formica countertops. But we do it on those Formica countertops because they do not phase me. All I can see is Lee. 
She tells me that when she was growing up, all she ever saw were white people, which, although I grew up around a lot of white people too, including my white mother, I don't really have a framework for because I had a very diverse and eclectic background that was reflective of my identity as a black, white, biracial person. And she tells me that her family didn't have a lot of education or a lot of resources, which is pretty different than my background growing up in Greenwich, Connecticut. And she also shares about some of the violence that she experienced as a child. And I forget all of that when she asks me if I'll come with her to her family's Thanksgiving. And I say, of course, I'll come with you to your family's for Thanksgiving. I should have made note of the fact that my family would have been fine if I invited Lee to come with me to Connecticut. They are very celebratory of my identity as a bisexual person. But I've set this precedent of avoiding all family holidays, particularly family holidays where food is involved. And in my family, we don't really do the typical traditional Thanksgiving celebration of the genocide of millions of indigenous people anyway. We don't have any of that bullshit go around the table and say what you're thankful for ritual. We basically get together in Thanksgiving's past, which I vaguely remember. It was just people getting together, eating a ton of food because my mom is one of 10 kids. And so any family holiday involves tons and tons of food, turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, pie, all the things that I would binge and purge on when alone. And so if I were to go to a family Thanksgiving (laughs) buffet, what that would typically consist of was me restricting and restricting and eating just what I could get away with eating in front of people and then taking a ton of leftovers home for the next day. And it's hard for me to be with my family without worrying that I'll let my guard down and ruin everything with a bulimic relapse. And I don't tell them how hard it is for me because if I do, they're going to love me through that and try to support me. And I am very Averse to love and unconditional affection, almost as adverse as I am to like eating and digesting food, but whatever. Nourishment is not my bag. So the idea of being around a big Thanksgiving buffet with Lee's family, while scary, seems like it'll be easier because I can control myself in front of strangers a lot easier than I can with people who love me and are fine with me showing up as all of who I am. And anyway, Lee tells me that her family doesn't have the money to make anything excessive, so there's going to be one turkey, a smattering of sides, and a single pie, which is, again, not like my family holidays at all. And knowing what she's told me about the mother who abandoned her, I want to be there for my girlfriend. And I can be there for my girlfriend. So for once, I'm going to step outside of myself not focus on me or my food rituals and fears and just go and be a supportive partner. And then the fateful day arrives. (laughs) I wake up early. Lee wakes up early. She heads to the kitchen to make the side that she promised to bring, which is a pie. And so I stay out of the kitchen. And instead, I journal about how terrified I suddenly am of all of the food that's going to be there. Um, Shit, shit, shit. Why did I say yes? I love her. Can I get out of this? Can I feign illness or injury? I'm not afraid about the people. Um, Being black and white, my whole life, I felt like I fit in anywhere and everywhere. And I know it's going to be as easy to get along with Lee's family as it is for me to get along with anyone. But I'm afraid of the food and I'm afraid of the pressure of eating at a weird time, which why the hell do people eat Thanksgiving at like 3.45 anyway? I don't understand why they can't just have it be lunch or dinner, but we have this weird dinner buffet time. I don't get it. Anyway, it's two o'clock. It's time to go. We're eating somewhere between 3.30 and four o'clock. Too late for lunch, too early for dinner. And I follow my girlfriend outside to her purple stick shift Pontiac. And she puts the pie on my lap and luckily it's wrapped so I don't have to deal with the smells or impulses to eat any of it. And I'm bringing flowers because I didn't want to deal with food. And with her at the wheel, me sitting beside her, pie on my lap, the windows cracked despite the crispness of the November day, we head up the I-95 freeway from Philly to the New Jersey shore. Her brother's house has a boat in the driveway. (laughs) Lawn gnomes are scattered 
everywhere, and there's a tacky pink flamingo with a broken beak in the center of the lawn. And, you know, it reminds me of gag gifts, but I feel like these people are somehow being serious, and so I don't quite understand. And my girlfriend isn't laughing as we make our way, not holding hands, which is weird for us because we're typically all over each other. So we make our way up to her brother's front door, and the door flings open, and this enormous man with a brown buzz cut steps outside and punches my girlfriend hard in the shoulder and greets her with a, hey, pipsqueak. And she punches back with a, hey, asshole. And then she turns to me and says, uh, this is my friend, Dara. Dara, this is my brother, John. And I'm trying to figure out if I heard her right. And wondering if maybe she mumbled the girl part of girlfriend. But no, because when I meet her other brother, Steve, and then her sister-in-law and her nieces and her mom and her stepdad, she introduces me the same way each time. Meet Dara, my friend. And when I meet her stepdad, he leers at me and says, well, now, ain't you a pretty young thing? Can't believe you ain't spending Thanksgiving with a boyfriend. And I'm like, Oh, wow. But I'm not necessarily put off by him thinking that his stepdaughter and I aren't together because I'm too mesmerized by his cavernous mouth. The man has only three teeth. And somehow, in the midst of this three-tooth smile, he's managing to dangle a cigarette between two of said teeth and smoke without using his hands, which is fascinating to me. But also, I'm mildly allergic to smoke and have a little bit of asthma, so I'm like waving my hand in front of the face as I reply, no, no boyfriend, but I'm really happy to be here with Lee. I didn't come out as bisexual until my 20s and have never felt pressured to hide any aspect of my identity from sexuality to race. So the feeling of not being accepted or embraced as a bisexual person is completely new to me and very, very confusing, considering that my girlfriend is a gold card lesbian who was married to a woman for five years and has had more girlfriends than she can count. Um, So I'm really not certain how she puts up with her family's intentional ignorance or how they can pretend not to know. Because my family is the kind of family that talks openly about everything, including sex, in a way that is very uncomfortable and off-putting for most outsiders. So I look at my girlfriend and I raise my eyebrows in a gesture that is clearly saying, are you going to tell them or should I? And she just rapidly shakes her head back and forth, a clear sign that I am not supposed to voice what they have all decided will remain a family secret. And I look at my watch and it's 3.03. So there's about 27 minutes until our awkward 3.30 designated Thanksgiving dinner time. And clearly there's going to be no discussions about indigenous history or the invasion of America today. There's no recontextualizations of the lies that Americans pass off as history. And I feel myself panicking. There's panic, 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 anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Oh my gosh, what did I do? Why am I here? Lee's stepdad has three teeth. Her and her brothers punch each other hello. There's more food than I assumed. She's telling them I'm her friend. And I can't tell my girlfriend how I'm feeling because for one thing, she's going through her own parallel panic. And for another, she's being careful that the two of us don't get too close or give off like sort of together vibe. And so I find myself just in the corner of the living room talking to Lee's mother. And she says, I'm glad we could all get together today. 
And this is a woman who's been married three times, always, Lee has told me, to men who beat her. And it's pretty clear to me that she has her own food issues as evidenced by the fact that, according to my girlfriend, her weight has gone up and down the same hundred pounds at least half a dozen times. And today she's stretching the limits of spandex that are clearly a size too small. And she seems to have some sort of stain on her Christmas sweater, which I assume because we're at Thanksgiving that this Christmas sweater has become some sort of holiday catch-all. And then she says, Lee, your stepdad brought his bathtub moonshine. Y'all can try some of that later. In her weird hybrid New Jersey slash Southern accent that's clearly a mixture of the influences of having spent about 40 years up north before moving south to be with a man who has a history of beating her. And as we all sit down at the table, I whisper to my girlfriend, Are you seriously going to drink alcohol that was made in a bathtub? And she just shrugs. And so I let it go. And I remind myself of my investment in diversity. And I remind myself that if she came to my family, there would be things about us that she found weird. Like how my vegetarian mother can't cook anything except meatloaf and beef stew, which is strange. And how my family openly discusses childhood wounds, race, religion, and sexual orientation. And how they have no shame. And I have no shame except about one thing, which is my history of bulimia. And that's the only thing I don't openly talk to my family about. And I could, if I wanted to talk to them about it, but I feel like it's the one thing that makes me unlovable. So I don't. And at Thanksgiving with Lee's family, I pick listlessly at my turkey and I take a bite And I'm so relieved that it's dry and mildly disgusting. And so I have no urge to eat more than my designated portion. And Lee's stepdad says, well, it's chilly out there, ain't it? And her mom replies, not as chilly as Thanksgiving 1972. I'm pretty sure it snowed that year. And he says, yeah, glad it didn't so much as rain while we were driving up. And I cringe on the inside because seriously, are these people talking about the weather? And I, who have been in treatment 18 times, who live and breathe therapy, want to talk about the depths of our souls, and I can't fucking believe that we are talking about the weather. And it seems that when they go a layer deeper, still the deepest they can go is now talking about the stuffing. This is really good. Barely even needs any gravy. Ugh. Food, the weather, and then traffic. Fuck my life. Nothing about hopes and dreams, not a single question about Lee, and definitely they don't ask me anything about me except lecherously wondering why I'm not with my non-existent boyfriend. I find myself eyeing the pie on the counter, pumpkin. But no, there's no way I can have some without having all. And the last thing I need to do is spend this holiday locked in the bathroom because even this family wouldn't be able to ignore that. Beside me, my girlfriend's leg is vibrating, and I distract myself by staring across the table at her three-toothed stepdad as he shovels mashed potatoes in his mouth, because it would seem that he does better with mushy foods, almost like a baby, which I get, right? With only three teeth, what are you going to do? And luckily, again, my appetite evaporates. No pie, no turkey. It's weirdly a relief. Lee, however, is staring daggers at her stepdad. Long before I ever met her, he was arrested for putting hands on her mother. And today, he's all smiles, as if all of that was a thing of the past. I take a bite of overcooked green bean casserole, refrain from spitting it out, swallow, and don't take another bite. Then Lee's stepdad changes the subject. You know, our town in North Carolina is going to shit because of them... And then he says the word that grates on my soul like nails on a chalkboard. He says the N-word. We're sitting around having Thanksgiving dinner. I'm half black, and yet he continues. Them blacks are stealing our jobs. From what Lee's told me, the man hasn't worked in decades and lives off the government, and before that, he sponged off her mother. 
And I wonder if anyone's going to say anything. So I look over across the table at Lee's sister-in-law, who, like me, is an outsider. And her head is down. And I think at least she has the decency to be ashamed. But no, she takes a bite of mashed potatoes and looks up again. So it wasn't shame. She's simply focusing on her food. Meanwhile, Lee's brothers are inhaling their turkey and gravy. And then her other sister-in-law puts more cranberry sauce on her husband's plate because this is an environment where women have been conditioned to serve the men around them. And I look at Lee's mom, another woman who gets into relationship with men with questionable views, beliefs, and behaviors, and find that not only is she not ashamed, but she's nodding along as her husband continues with his monologue. Meanwhile, my girlfriend clenches her hands into fists so tight that her fingernails are cutting into her palms. And I see little fingernail blood trails that are the only evidence that anything about this Thanksgiving is not okay. And I reach out and I take one of her hands covertly under the table so no one sees and so that she won't harm herself because this family has injured her enough already. And I could say something. I know I could say something. I'm the type of person who always says something. But I also know that if I do, Lee's stepdad is only going to tell me how I'm not like them, whoever they are, right? Or he'll double down and continue to berate these people who I know he'll never accept because he doesn't even accept himself. And in either case, if he says something and I say something, I'm going to be hard pressed not to knock out one of his few remaining teeth. So I tell myself that he is irrelevant. And right now, all I want is to be a good girlfriend. So I hold her hand to keep her from scratching her palm and hurting herself because of a man who's been so hurtful to so many people, including herself and her mother. And I take a deep breath. And I can feel her doing the same beside me, synchronizing her inhalations and her exhalations to mine. And the rhythm of our breathing reminds us that we are together and we exist a world apart from these people. And then I survey all the food and none of it is anything I want to eat. I don't have anything in common with these people. I just want to be back at our place with Lee. She pushes cranberry sauce against turkey and gravy into stuffing. And for once, she's not eating like she's back in prison, even though I know that somehow this is a prison of its own for her. You know, I say, the temperature is supposed to drop tonight. And suddenly superficiality seems preferable to exploring depths that I wish didn't exist. And it works. You don't say, it's a good thing I brought my winter coat. They talk, I don't. More about the traffic and the weather. I decline their offer of pie. Lee takes a single swig of moonshine. And when it's time to say our goodbyes, there are more shoulder punches for her and cringe-inducing hugs for me. Can't believe you don't have a boyfriend. You're such a pretty thing. I'm black and white. But instead, I tell a lie. I tell this man, nice to meet you. Then Lee and I walk out the door, not holding hands because she doesn't want them to see us touching. We get into her purple Pontiac and her family goes inside. The red front door closes. Lee's shoulders slump forward and she starts to sob. That's where I came from, she says. That's the environment I came from. And I'm so sorry that I exposed you to that. And I put a hand on her knee and I reply, considering where you came from, it's amazing that you're the woman that you are. And you don't have to apologize. Thank you for being you and for not following in their example. And she puts the key in the ignition and we drive home without musical accompaniment. The only sounds are the sounds of her crying interspersed with occasional attempts at a conversation. I don't know if I can ever see those people again, she tells me. I get it, I tell her. And if you need to see them again, I'll be there with you. And I mean it. We get home, we get into bed, we forget about her family, and we focus on us. 
but the therapists were right. As much as Lee and I love each other, we can't make it work. We fuck a lot and we fight a lot. I cheat on her. She threatens to kill me and leaves bullets on my bathroom floor. Neither of us have entirely escaped following in the footsteps of those who raised us. I'm too intellectual and sarcastic. She's too emotional and volatile, not to mention violent. It takes four years for the relationship to end for good. And by that time, interspersed with all our love, there's hatred too. It's not anybody's fault, but we can't be together when we're worlds apart. I'm not sure where Lee is today or where her family is, but I hope that wherever they are, their hearts and minds have changed about black folks and queer folks and anyone who isn't the same race, orientation, or religion. And for my part, I've tried to let that experience not change how I see people whose identities and whose ancestors carry a complicated history of bigotry and oppression. And I like to think that these days, maybe not on Thanksgiving, but on all the other days of the year, I can be grateful that I don't have to live in fear or hate, that I can embrace the humanity in all of us. And to me, that seems worthy of giving thanks. I told you I didn't want to go to this dinner. You know I don't go for those ones that you bother about. So when they say something that makes me start to simmer, that fancy wine won't put this fire out. Oh, kick me under the table all you want. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. Kick me under the table all you want. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. I'd like to buy you a pair of pillows, old hiking boots To help you with your climb Or rather to help the bodies that you step over along your room So they won't hurt like mine Kick me under the table all you want I won't shut up, I won't shut up Kick me under the table all you want I won't shut up, I won't shut up This is Risk, and this is Fiona Apple behind me now. We just heard a story from Daryl Lyons. If you like that story, you should definitely make sure to check out another story that Darylise told on the podcast called Bullets on the Floor, which there was actually a reference to in the story if you caught that. And we decided that we're actually going to rerun that story this week, so keep an eye out for it this coming Thursday. Here's a little sample of it. And in the morning around 6 a.m., I wander out of bed and I'm groggy and I go to the bathroom and I sit on the toilet and I feel something beneath my feet and it's cold, and it's hard, and it's deadly. And I look down, and on my white tile floor, there's five bronze bullets. And until that moment, I thought Lee might hurt me, but I never thought that she would follow through on her threat to kill me. And I'd never realized how much I valued my own life. Darylise is also the author of a book called Demystifying Diversity and a host of the podcast called On Being Biracial. When I asked Darylise who some of the most inspirational women in her life have been, she told me that it was without a doubt her mother, Sunny Taylor, who raised her on her own without any involvement from her dad, her Aunt Maggie, who passed away of leukemia when she was only 29, and her baby sister, Tyla, who's 12 years younger than Darylise but remains her hero. Before Darylise, we heard a story from Jen Curcio. Jen sent me this clip when I asked about a woman who's inspiring to her. One of the female figures who inspired me throughout my entire life is Sally Ride, and she was the first American woman in space, and she was also the first LGBTQ person in space. And what really inspired me about her was, as a kid, I loved science and learning about science, it was mostly only ever men that they talked about. So 
to learn about uh, LGBTQ woman who was in science uh, really, really inspired me as a little kid. And it really meant a lot. And it made me feel like it was possible for me to be in science, even though I had horrible math skills. We'll be right back. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. We're back. You might not know, but many members of the staff at risk are also members of the staff of thestorystudio.org. The Story Studio has been creating workshops of all kinds for over a decade custom-tailored storytelling workshops for businesses like Google, Pfizer, American Express, Citibank, and USA Today, and storytelling training for all kinds of creative people and teams. So you should definitely check us out at thestorystudio.org. Now, next week is an episode that I always love when it comes around. It is one of my favorite things in the world, and it is another Best of Risk episode. There are some amazing and wonderful stories on that episode, so definitely make sure that you come back and check it out in a week. Until then, today's the day. Take a risk. Kick me under the table